Welcome, listener, to episode 27 of the Antigen Internet Radio Show. My name is Jason, and I'll be your host for an hour of sombre music and quiet reflection on Shipful of Bombs, South End on Sea's premier internet-only radio station. We open the show with a tune from the Reverend Matthew Jonathan Simpkins, with his wife, Mrs. Simpkins, minus her French horn, and their daughter, Miss Martha Simpkins three-quarters of the Simpkins family performing down in the valley to pray at the Chapel of St Peter on the Wall near Bradwell-on-Sea on the Essex coast at the official launch of the Reverend Salting's album. More music from that night a little later on. But first, I'd like to apologise to listeners for a change to tonight's programming. We will be following the broadcasting protocols set out by the BBC in the 1960s in the event of the death of a Category 1 royal and playing music from the Shipful of Bombs Mood 1 Sad Songs playlist. We will also be complying with the state broadcaster's 12-day ban on comedy, so as not to distract people from their grief with inappropriate laughter, at this time of compulsory national mourning. Out of respect for the memory of the Queen, I will refrain from swearing on air, but the show will contain one context-appropriate reference to the Queen's vagina. Uh, Two references, if you count that one. If this is something that makes you feel uncomfortable, other intermittently entertaining topical comedy current affairs programmes are available, including The MASH Report with Rachel Paris, which went out as normal on the evening of the 8th of September. Bosses at Dave, obviously confident no one would disrespect the memory of the Queen by laughing. However, one thing that did not go ahead on the evening of the 8th of September was the long-awaited return of These Are End Times.
suitably solemn stuff from These Are End Times with Now I Realise How Helpless We Are, recorded live by the BBC at Latitude Festival in 2011. These Are End Times returned after a five-year absence to perform a sound check at Colchester Arts Centre on the 8th of September for their show with Fuzzy Lights. Unfortunately for them, the Arts Centre cancelled the event at 10 past 7, 20 minutes before the doors were supposed to open. The End Times show at Colchester Arts Centre wasn't the only thing to be cancelled. People unable to afford private healthcare have had their operations postponed as a mark of respect to the Queen, and Parliament is paused. The House of Commons has only sat for five days since the start of the summer recess on the 21st of July, so there'll be no comedy and no political current affairs on tonight's show. Anyway, the gig on Thursday the 8th didn't happen, so on Friday the 9th of September I went to see the stupids and casual nausea at the steamboat in Ipswich. I got a cab to a punk gig because I can, um, from Rushmere Estate, through the former parish of Cold Dung Hills, to Newcut West. And suddenly the cab driver turned round, and his opening conversational gambit was to say this genuine sentence. He said, these days you get arrested and thrown in jail if you say you want to abolish the monarchy, don't you? I said, yes, it's all over the news. I read it in The Guardian. If I were a comedian... I probably could have milked that for 10 minutes of material, but there's no comedy tonight. There's a time and a place for exercising the right of freedom of expression under Article 10 of the European Convention on Human Rights, and it's not in 21st century Britain. It must be a confusing time for Conservatives. Last week, it seemed like cancel culture was the enemy of the people, undermining British values, the one thing preventing us from rebuilding our glorious empire. But now it seems like we live in a country where you can be arrested for breach of the peace if you say you don't like marmalade sandwiches. Personally, I wouldn't dream of holding up a piece of paper expressing an opinion that challenges the institutionalised behaviour of hysterical monarchists, because I understand why these people are upset. First, they were looking forward to the new Lord of the Rings television programme on Amazon. But it was ruined. by black hobbits. Then the Queen dies, and then Disney releases the trailer for the live-action remake of The Little Mermaid. Everything that bound together the fabric of these people's lives has been torn apart. And then, to finish them off, the palace announces that their new Queen will be a man.
authentic mermaid representation from Sea Lion Woman with the title song from their Siren album, which we released in 2018 and which is still available on vinyl in the Antigen Records half-price sale. Like many people, I turn to Twitter for comfort when stuff changes and I get upset. It's reassuring to find other 50-year-old men who are equally invested in the skin colour of a cartoon mermaid. And you'd expect their arguments to be firmly rooted in science. There would be no need for mermaid skin to produce melanin if the ancestral mermaid population lived below the ocean's euphotic zone, knowing that very little light penetrates deeper than 200 metres of water. But instead, it's stuff like at King one tweeting, people don't like Hollywood's performative wokeism or being told they're racist for criticising it. They respect authentic representation, not a morality performance by elites. Authentic mermaid representation. The hill on which Scone King 1 is prepared to die on. But at Mongoose Power 17 offered another perspective. He tweeted, The desire to keep a beloved movie as people remember it is not racism. It's nostalgia. You're too quick to call this racism and not patient enough to explore its deeper roots. Which I thought was an interesting insight. It is sometimes difficult to tell the difference between racism and nostalgia, especially when the nostalgia is for a time when black people weren't stealing our jobs as authentic live-action representations of cartoon mermaids. I'm really concerned about how these people who love their nostalgia and hate change are going to cope when they discover the new Queen of England identifies as a man. Now let's get one thing clear, I'm not one of those radical feminists who thinks that queens cannot be a man, the ones with adult human subject in their Twitter profile and statements like, queens do not have penises. I'm happy for the queen to have a penis, as long as no one tries to ram it down my throat all the time. I believe in an equal opportunity monarchy where anyone can rule the United Kingdom as long as they were first out of the last queen's vagina.
Carrying MS by Rinuat, taken from their Juanagra album, which came out in November last year. Rinuat, the word, is ancient Javanese, means to liberate oneself from a curse. Rinuat, the band, is a trio who appear to be based in Australia. The album's liner notes state, We respectfully acknowledge the traditional custodians of the sacred land on which we live, the Boonwarrung and the Woiwurrung-speaking peoples of the Wurundjeri and the Kulin nations. We respectfully acknowledge their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. We pay respects to elders past, present and emerging. Sovereignty has never been ceded. Of course, here in the UK, that sort of thing would get you arrested and thrown in jail for causing alarm to people who see it as an affront to the lawful King of Australia, King Charles III. Police in the UK have been quick to quell public dissent at a time when the old Queen's subjects should be bowing their heads in respectful silence. The arrests in England were made under the Public Order Act of 1986, which allows police to arrest someone whose behaviour may cause harassment, alarm or distress to someone who might be feeling a bit sensitive. If this were a right-wing political show, I'd call them all snowflakes and then spend 20 minutes complaining about cancel culture to my 500,000 subscribers. But this is a left-wing show, we don't like to punch down. So instead, I'm going to politely ask my 50 listeners to show restraint and to respect people who are exhibiting symptoms of hysterical monarchism. They are people who I'm sure have spent the last few weeks worrying that a third of Pakistan is underwater, with floods affecting 33 million people, leaving almost 1,500 dead and half a million people in temporary camps. And then suddenly... They received the shocking news that a 96-year-old woman has died of natural causes in Scotland. Understandably, they don't have the emotional capacity to process another death of someone they've never met. Their behaviour has, however, forced a spokesperson for the Royal Parks to issue a plea to the public to stop leaving stuffed bears and marmalade sandwiches at the gates of Buckingham Palace to accompany the dead queen on her journey to the afterlife. It's a tradition that dates back at least as far as the ancient Egyptians, who would entomb their kings and queens with grains, cereals and meat mummies made out of poultry or cured beef, embalmed with pistachio resin, to consume on their passage to the underworld. The Egyptians would also embalm their rulers' pets, but the palace was slow to confirm the fate of the queen's beloved corgis. However, animal lovers were relieved when on the 12th of September, the PA news agency announced that two of the Queen's corgis, Mick and Sandy, would be looked after by her favourite son, Prince Andrew, because he was the best person to keep their coats in good condition with regular brushing. You'll need to assemble your own joke from that. There'll be no disrespectful Prince Andrew jokes on the show tonight. In a lucky escape, the Queen's remaining dogs, a Cocker Spaniel and a Dachshund Corgi hybrid, called a Dorgie, are to be mummified and entombed with their former owner, after their organs have been removed and sealed in canopic jars. In the First Dynasty, around 3000 BCE, Egyptian nobles also had their servants killed and buried with them, so they could continue to serve them in the afterlife. Several internet commentators have petitioned the royal family to revive the tradition of retainer sacrifice and seal royal correspondent Nicholas Witchell within the King George VI Memorial Chapel so that he can continue to serve the Queen in death as her royal toady. I feel it's what she would have wanted. The palace has yet to comment on the fate of the marmalade sandwiches. Hopefully they've been thrown in the bin so they don't attract hungry peasants from nearby food banks. Stay. 
Phil Tyler and Sarah Hill with the heathery hills of Yarrow from their new album What We Thought Was a Lake Was a Field of Flax which came out on Ferret Morden a couple of weeks ago. Although I am a Republican I believe the monarchy should be abolished even though expressing that view in public in a way that may cause alarm or distress is now an arrestable offence I took no pleasure in the news that Queen Elizabeth II had died. If anything my first reaction was one of relief the old queen was, after all, probably the most dangerous person in the UK. As every right-wing politician knows, only stiff prison sentences prevent offending behaviour. The opposite may have been proved, with facts, but inside we all know this to be a truth that does not need to be supported by evidence. So when I discovered the doctrine of sovereign immunity prevents criminal and civil proceedings from being brought against the monarch as head of state, I was obviously concerned. There was nothing to stop the queen going on a crime spree. You might be thinking, I'm glad. That's how it should be in a modern constitutional monarchy. The laws of the land are for commoners. But since 1967, the Queen has also argued successfully for personalised exemptions from over 160 laws. These affected the Queen's conduct as a private citizen, granting her and her private property portfolio immunity from large swathes of British law. Now some of this stuff you'd expect Exemptions from legislation designed to prevent discrimination in the workplace, from the Race Relations Board of the early 1970s through to the Equality Act of 2010, and more than 30 laws preventing police from entering Balmoral and Sandringham without the Queen's permission to investigate suspected crimes, which is useful, for example, if you need to remove evidence from a crime scene. But the most worrying example came in the late 90s, 
when she asked for a Crown exemption from the prospective Nuclear Explosions Prohibition and Inspections Act of 1998, giving her the power to deny on-site inspections of her nuclear arsenal and removing criminal liability in the event that the Queen, quotes, knowingly causes a nuclear weapon test explosion or any other nuclear explosion in the United Kingdom. An offence under Section 1 of the Act which would have led to a sentence of life imprisonment for anybody else. Now that the Queen has sadly passed away, we can only speculate on why she would want this. I'm guessing that she may not necessarily have wanted to detonate a nuclear explosion in the UK, but it was important for her to know that she could if she wanted to.
There Are No Birds Here, with a radical reworking of In the Marsha Desert by Rev Simpkins, originally from his Saltings album. There Are No Birds Here have recently released a new album called Striance, which is available from the Courier Bandcamp page. That track's not on it, it's currently unreleased, so if you want to hear it again, you have to rewind the show. The Guardian reported on the 13th of September that dozens of Clarence House staff employed by the new Man Queen at his former residence were given redundancy notices during the Thanksgiving service for the Old Queen at St Giles Cathedral on Monday the 12th. In some cases, it was their reward for several decades of service. King Charles III's private secretary, Sir Clive Alderton, told them by letter that they would be assisted to find new jobs externally, which prompted me to investigate the transferable skills they could bring to the modern workplace. King Charles III, in his princely days, was known affectionately as the Pampered Prince because of the exacting demands he placed on his servants. Author Brian Hoey, Royal Correspondent Clive Goodman and the King's former butler, Paul Burrell, have all written about his behaviour at various points over the last 20 years, most humorous examples of which I will now relate. A servant must squeeze out exactly one inch of toothpaste onto his brush in the morning and then draw a bath for him with tepid water at a specified depth and then ensure the bath plug is aligned exactly the way he likes it. A towel must be arranged so that he can sit in it after his bath and fold it around his body without becoming confused. Before he returns to his chamber, where his clothes are arranged for him on his bed, from left to right, so that he puts them on in the right order. Charles employed three valets, solely to take care of his clothes, which he changes five times a day. A fact that might suggest he sweats more than his younger brother. He refuses to allow servants to use a washing machine, insisting that all his clothes are hand-washed. And he insists that the royal underpants, pyjamas and shoelaces are ironed every day. At bedtime, he has his servants spend over an hour pressing every wrinkle out of his bedsheets before he retires for the night. Speaking on serving the royals inside the firm, former butler Burrell said, On one occasion, he rang me from his library and he said, Oh Paul, a letter from the Queen seems to have fallen into my waste paper bin. Would you pick it out? I used to work in a job centre. <laughs> Imagine helping a royal manservant fill out a CV and look for a new job after 30 years folding the royal underpants and aligning the plug in a prince's bathtub. Thank you. 
Fuzzy Lights with Safe Place from their 2008 album A Distant Voice, another band I missed on the 8th of September due to the inconvenient timing of the Queen's death. Now I don't want listeners thinking that I think King Charles III is a congenital idiot incapable of ironing his own shoelaces, because he's already taken media flack for being grumpy, even though his mum's just died and his pen's not working. <laughs> Cut the man some slack. I mean, he's no Charles II, that's for sure. Charles II, you'll remember, stopped the Merry Monarch because he granted the charter that started the transatlantic slave trade, reviving the fortunes of the monarchy and allowing them to fill their palaces with loads of nice stuff. I admire our new man-queen king. Not many people can say they got into Cambridge with two A-level passes, a B and a C. You've got to respect him for that. And in a long and distinguished service career, he earned 20 military titles, including Admiral of the Fleet in the Royal Navy, Field Marshal of the British Army, and Marshal of the Royal Air Force, which is not bad for six years' work. It shows you what you can achieve in Great Britain if you put the graft in. But I'm just saying that if there'd been an open application process to become Head of State, they might have found a more suitable candidate. Not that I would have gone for it. It looks like a right pain pen's not working, having to remember what day it is. Plus imagine if you went for the job and you didn't get it. Thank you for applying for the position of Head of the Commonwealth, Supreme Governor of the Church of England, Commander-in-Chief of the British Armed Forces and King of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. We regret to inform you that we will not be pursuing your candidacy for this position. The field was highly competitive and we have decided to move forward with a candidate whose qualifications a 73-year-old birth certificate, better meet our needs at this time. We thank you for your interest in this position and wish you all the best in your future endeavours. Losing out to a 73-year-old man who can't operate a tube of toothpaste. Imagine.
PJ Harvey with White Chalk from the album of the same name, which came out in 2007. So that brings us nearly to the end of another show, a show in which I've been struggling to articulate my feelings towards the old queen. For some, she was the embodiment of duty, a person born into grinding luxury, forced to travel the world waving as subjects from a distance, for which she received nothing more than 86.3 million a year in the sovereign grant. For others, she was a symbol of continuity, of Britain's continued failure to acknowledge or apologise for its colonial past. It's difficult to decide. But fortunately, the Daily Express was ready, as ever, to put thoughts in the heads of those who are unable to generate them independently through electrochemical brain activity. And their headline on the 16th of September simply quoted the comment made by Prince William to a mourner at Sandringham House. The Queen was like everyone's grandmother. This particularly resonated with me, as my grandmother, Jessie Chapman, God bless her, was also a racist who worked in a cafe at Braintree bus station. I'm not sure exactly how similar they were. I can imagine the late Queen Elizabeth standing behind a counter serving up bacon sandwiches to truckers, but I can't imagine her holding objectionable racist views. It's well known that the Queen had many, many black subjects. One more thing I almost forgot, Onisoire qui Melipense, the title of tonight's show, is of course the old Queen's motto. It's the motto of the chivalric order of the garter to be more precise, but it can also be found on the royal coat of arms of the United Kingdom. It translates as, shame on he who thinks evil of it, which you might think is a bit of a strange choice. If I were making up a motto, I think I'll try for something positive and inspirational, like for example, life is short, let's party. Except I'd write it in Latin so it'd look fancy, not like some shit you'd see on Facebook, and definitely not in French. Celebremus moriandum est. Oniswaki Malipons is basically a motto that tells people there's something wrong with you if you don't like us. Sounds very defensive, almost as though they're anticipating their behaviour in future would generate criticism. But they also have a second motto, Dieu est mon droit, literally God and my right, to remind the plebeian masses that the British monarch's right to rule is given to her or him by God. By which, of course, I mean the God of the Christians, who obviously, even in the 21st century, has a very hands-on approach to recruiting executive staff to middle management positions on a tiny island in the North Sea. But if there's one thing we've learnt from tonight's show, it's that there's a time and a place to offend the Christian God by criticising his choice of monarch. And it's not now. Because for now, it's important we maintain the sense of deference and respect for tradition that has made Great Britain what it is today. An international laughingstock to some, and irrelevance to others. I'm talking about a place where people of peasant stock queue patiently to pay respects to an empty box and lay marmalade sandwiches at the gates of a palace while 2.6 million children go hungry in the sixth richest country in the world. Where Edward stands bedecked with medals from his four months in the forces, unable to complete his basic training while veterans denied mental health support and housing have their blankets stripped away and are moved on by police for making London look untidy when the world is watching. A country where institutionalised politeness prevents people from challenging the ever-widening disparity between the billionaires and the 22% of people who live in poverty. And where anger at inequality is rightly reserved for Philip Schofield what has to be the most egregious abuse of privilege, jumping a queue to nod his head to a woman whose birthright denied her the simple everyday pleasures the rest of us take for granted. Queuing for food in our local supermarket, being required by law to pay tax, and being held accountable for our crimes by the criminal justice system. A queen whose final act as head of state was to swear in Liz Truss as Prime Minister. 
And with that thought, I'll bid you good night with another track from the Simpkins family, recorded at St Peter on the Wall earlier this month. Lay down, my dear sister, lay down and take your rest. Lay your head I bid you good.